Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Today we'd like to introduce you to a great fantasy audio drama called Circe. The show is similar to Lord of the Rings, except that it focuses on an awesome gay sorceress on the planet of Elbion. Thyra is recording stories of her past to help regain her magical abilities. We learn of her life and how she came to be a member of the Circe. If you're a fan of gay stories and characters, Lord of the Rings and Xena the Warrior Princess, you'll love this show. Check out Circe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Less than optimal condition, the locked root cellar door was barely an inconvenience. Though it was only reasonable for a house, if not a particularly large one, to underestimate the strength of a human being. An oversight it might have learned from had it been long for the world, which it wasn't. With my rather loud escape from captivity, I could feel the house looking for me as if the view from the open windows had been directed inwards. 
Also worthy of note was that the view betrayed the fact that the house was moving, the forest sights streaking by as the house scampered along at a fairly impressive speed. Also, and to return to the topic of learning from one's mistakes, I wasn't so foolish as the last time I confronted the carnivorous building, having stepped upon the spiral immediately after escaping the root cellar. Again, I was in awe of the escalation of its powers, or perhaps just the powers I'd somehow earned for my experience of it. The spiral pried loose the house's secrets one after the next as I went along, telling me the story of the creature who would make a slave of me. Clean out my bowels. Indeed. <laughs> oh, the things I've done to those who have offended me for so, so much less. The spiral revealed to me the hidden ways through the innards of the thing, where the house's weird powers denied customary senses their sway. There was a room heaped with various finery and trunks filled with exquisite clothing, all of which, I presumed, were what the house supplied its supplicants, a music room stuffed with instruments of every sight and sound, a studio packed with drawing tables and mounted canvases, replete with the appropriate crafting utensils. Apparently, the house would have made additional demands of me. Perhaps I'd be asked to sing an ode to its majesty while I wiped its ass clean of blackened bones. <laughs> Unfortunately for the house, I was no artist. No family man trying to paint distractions into the world's worthlessness. I was its emptiness, come to swallow it whole. The last room the spiral revealed to me was a quiet affair. A sitting room filled with gold and silver framed portraits. Each photograph inserted carefully into wooden curio cabinets. They revealed the order and contents of the house's victims, a lineage of meals. I knew this due to the last portrait set out, the man I watched the house consume, my predecessor. All the framed victims sported less than picturesque expressions, as if the photos had been snapped the very moment they'd realized their rather unpleasant fate. As was only fitting, there would be no portrait to continue the house's collection. That place would remain forever. <laughs> Barren. With my tour complete, I returned to the room with the trunks of clothing. Unintended nudity was fast becoming a pronounced annoyance of the new world. Stepping out of the spiral long enough to clothe myself, I could feel the strands of the rug twitch beneath my feet, as if the fibers were functioning as some kind of nervous tissue through which the house conducted its sense of touch. After the door to the dressing room slammed shut, it seemed my theory about the rug was reasonably accurate. Again, wooden doors aren't the best means of trapping a man such as myself. Once back in the hallway, all the windows slammed shut, the furnace roaring to life somewhere beneath me, the floors tilted every which way, like the wooden waves of an indoor sea. You're more clever than I expected, slave. But soon enough, you will learn a thousand lessons in obedience. 
A wise creature should have deduced my motive by that time, as I could have escaped at any point after I'd left the root cellar. If the locked cellar door yielded to my strength, it was a sure bet that any of the doors leading outside would as well, to say nothing of the windows. No, the house should have known better. I intended to kill it. Although, you should know that while my foundation partakes of the oldest stone, my patience is not so resolute. If you will not serve, you will burn. It is as simple as that. Clearly, the house was a fully integrated network. All its parts joined in a supernatural enterprise that granted mind, murder, and mobility to an ostensibly immobile object, which meant that I had to be very mindful of when and where I exited the spiral. A foolishly placed foot or finger could draw a painful reprise, to say nothing of capture or death. And even though the house's response to my treading its rug was far from impressive, it would have been unwise to assume its next response as lackluster. My third door for the evening belonged to the cellar. It was understandably stouter than the previous two, given what it contained, but proved little more than a brief impedance as I made for the furnace, the soul of the house. As before, the structure sensed my trespass and acted accordingly, if impotently. Heating pipes broke free from the ceiling in gush-scalding water. All Love Viper's wires ripped loose from the wall and spat sparks. But I was back upon the spiral even before the splinters from the cellar door had touched the ground. The house was lashing out blindly. Lucky for me, and even the house at the time. Its burst of heat from our last encounter proved insufficient to detonate any of the explosives I'd carried upon my person only scattering them to the corners of the basement, which was exactly where I recovered them. Coming out of the spiral only long enough to collect my fallen wares, the house still deduced my presence upon its concrete flesh, and immediately sent steaming water and hissing electrical wires to intercept me. But as before, it was a day late and a dollar short. I'd already sidled up to the furnace by the time I had any sense of where I'd gotten to. What a dullard you've turned out to be, coming directly to me, allowing my fires to taste you, lick your flesh. A pleasant side effect of being badly burned was that I barely noticed the increase in temperature. A layer of insensate skin keeping me from bowing to the heat. Not that it would have likely slowed me down at that point. You must be young for your kind. That, or you've gone soft in the attic. Either way, you're quite the fool for thinking me without a plan. And fools generally receive two things. And in this precise order. Laughter and death. While I'd been mostly insulated against the heat, my hands, where it wrenched open the blazing iron door to the furnace, seethed with white-hot pain. But I knew it would all be worth it in the end. <laughs> so, your plan is to somehow attack me directly. Then come, 
Join me in the fire, you brainless oaf. For a creature so bright, you lack even the basic common sense of your various doorknobs. What was that? What did you just drop in here with me? A bomb, you idiot. What? No! There was a part of me, a foolish part, I admit, that decided to remain closer to the resulting explosion than was wise. Yet, I was upon the spiral and wanted to see what kind of protection, if any, it might provide me. While I did indeed appreciate the damaging kinetics and heat of the explosion, there was a significant deflection of harm, such that I was more than able to function in the wake of the blast. So far as I was able to determine, the spiral positioned me in the best location of the room to bypass the bulk of the ensuing conflagration. The post-waking world was becoming curiouser and curiouser. The cellar was little more than a charred pit. The interior of the upper floors gutted almost completely, and fires crawled throughout the house's ruined innards like blazing carrion creatures. Rising from the fairly well-shielded corner I'd found myself in, I made for the twisted mess of iron girding that once housed the spirit of a carnivorous house. Are you still alive in there, creature? Leave me You've already destroyed me. What more do you want? I suppose only to gloat over you. Laugh a bit, perhaps. <laughs> then get on with it and, and go. Actually, now that I have you here, dying at my feet, I would like to ask you something. Then ask, and let me die in peace. <laughs> let you die in pieces, you mean. <laughs> but anyway, what has happened to the world? Why can I not remember what happened? All I know is that I lived in dream. Loss, filling me up always. Screams, always such wonderful screams. And death, sudden, sometimes slow and by oh so many hands. The dust piled and piled and piled. The screams grew louder, more beautiful. Then came a great darkness onto a sea, crashing down from the sky, across the earth, lifting me upon bleakest waves. The darkness spoke to me. It whispered, Awaken, my sleeping friend, and know the night is never you have. Your soul I've solidified from suffering, your limbs I've suffused with strength and secrecy, all for the sake of that hunger you know too well. And indeed, I did know that hunger, to be filled up with smoldering and sudden anguish. Again and again, 
Until you put an end to me, I was such a splendid evil, so terrible and new. Do you really think your evil is so much better than mine? Your human shape and hackneyed wickedness. You should have let me burn you. The world's a tough place, House. Newness isn't assurance of continuance. And while you're interesting enough, I suppose, novelty isn't cleverness, as you've more than demonstrated. It's a pity we met under such circumstances, as you could have made a splendid conveyance for me, moving through the world inside a magic, man-eating house and all that. <laughs> but unfortunately, you thought to trifle with me, and so paid the ultimate price sooner than was needed. But there did seem to be quite a few of your kind, so I suspect your loss is more than compensated for, should that comfort you at all. I do not need you to comfort me. Now please, leave me to my demise. Only one more thing, House, and then I'll depart. This darkness you spoke of, where did it originate? And why did it change the world in such a way? It came out of slumber, I think. From the spaces between and amongst. A dormant promise that had finally been given. And it came into us. Became us each in their turn. And all in their own way. In haunted houses and even madmen partook of a forgotten darkness that could abide the coldest light. That's all good and well, House. But I require a more practical assessment. Something beyond bad poetry. It's a wonder the darkness came into you at all. You obdurate buffoon. It was poetry. A curse of physics writ large across the world. When what was below rose above. Bah, then go die, you foolish house. And should you reincarnate as a lesser structure for your poor showing in this life, perhaps as a gardening hut or even a car barn, may you remember to think before you boast. Rather than asking the house for an explanation of recent events, I should have asked for directions. I was thoroughly lost in the deepest woods. But who knew? Perhaps I'd stumble across a talking map, or a living car that drove up walls. I was beginning to feel as if my hatred for the world was wasted, that my enemy had suffered an injury to its mind and was now a drooling idiot, undeserving of the will I'd waste on thwarting it. Or perhaps it was merely mocking us all now, abandoning its previous course of wanton cruelty and capricious favoritism for something more ridiculous and shaming. The further I thought things through, the more reason I found to continue my quest. Even if the world had lost its mind, incapable of appreciating my vengeance, there were still those who once benefited from its favors. Their misery would have to do. 
the spiral did a fine job of orienting me to the cardinal points, and so I decided to travel east, as that was the direction the old witch had advised. Hopefully, the house hadn't taken me so off course as to invalidate her prognostication. By the time night was upon me, I made a pleasant realization. The more and longer I traveled the spiral, the quicker my injuries healed. It was the imparted wisdom of the path, I believed, informing my body the best way to repair itself. It was equally informative concerning what berries and plants I might eat along my way, deducing their properties and poisons. And if I weren't proficient enough at hunting and tracking, the spiral honed those skills beyond even a razor's edge and kept them there. I tried to reckon this development with the house that spoke in purple prose, the darkness it yammered on about, how it came into each of us. I found the idea of some supernal change afforded through real, or perhaps metaphorical, darkness to be short-sighted. After all, it was clear that not everyone was better off for this transformative darkness. In fact, most suffered for it. If the house was even remotely accurate, its theory would need to be coupled with some kind of selection process to explain why only a chosen few benefited from the changes. But this also flew in the face of wisdom. Specifically, why would I, of all people, be granted any sort of advantage? It only made sense if this darkness was itself an enemy to the world, its cruel humors. Even the spiral seemed hard-pressed to alleviate my confusion. Entering a moonlit clearing, I spied something humanoid standing on the opposite side, something amber and slightly reflective. Partially revealed by moonlight, I stared at the thing, ready to move into the spiral if needs be. Though... I was no mouse, some skittish thing ready to jump into a hole at the first sign of trouble. Whatever it was, it hadn't so much as twitched since I spotted it. Moving closer, it seemed like a statue of some kind. Once directly in front of the thing, I took it for what it was, an exuviae, the cast-off skin of a molting insect. Why it was the size and shape of a human being was not as apparent. The top of the head was split open and peeled back, such that whatever moved without the husk exited straight up. Looking into the limbs that overhung the husk, I detected a path upward, snapped limbs outlining away into the sky. I held very still for quite a while, listening. But when I heard only the traditional sounds of the night, I continued forward. It wasn't long before I ran into more of the things, though... They no longer adhered exclusively to human shapes. There were deer, coyotes, rabbits, and then even trees. All the cracked amber shells bore the same signature marks of having been opened from the top, their contents fleeing upward. Also, and to further support my thesis, that the previous occupants of the husks had climbed into the sky, there were no prints anywhere around the shells. Nothing beyond the prints of the creatures prior to their molting, that is. The animals' husks made a small kind of sense, but not the trees, and definitely not the entire city I eventually stumbled into. The ruined husk of an entire town stood before me in the moonlight, its semi-translucent amber crust unapologetic where it rose from a solid, 
waking earth. There were crooked amber shells of men, women, children, animals, cars, houses, grocery stores, cornfields, telephone poles, garages, restaurants. It was unfathomable as to what might have come to pass in that place. And again, every exuvier was split open at the top. Taking to the spiral, I hoped to achieve some small semblance of an answer, but there was nothing. The curving way only assessed the number and locations of the shimmering remains. Nothing of the how or whys of it all. And it alerted me to a distant sound. Continuous, wet sloughing broken intermittently by the crackle of breaking bones. Or perhaps snapping cartilage. Following the sounds, I found myself within the town square, staring up at a large statue of what might have been the city's founder. But unlike everything else in the place, the statue hadn't finished molting. It was still in the process. There was a long train of massive, glistening organs slowly lifting from without the statue's riven head, all of them dangling like overripe fruit from a central coil of what looked like a twitching length of corded intestine. The winding, massive entrails led into the sky, above the trees, where they gathered like glistening, moist storm clouds, joining the body of some kind of floating, organic horror. While not all of it was visible, I could see the thing's general outline, where the moon's pale light silhouetted it. About half the size of the city square, the developing creature quivered and vibrated, though not all at once, or in one place. A buzzing sound grew in volume as the creature continued to knit itself together, one sopping organ at a time. Within the confines of the spiral, I watched the process unfold, an impossible biology forming within the night sky directly above me, a gigantic biological abnormality born from the body of a statue. Vile liquid splashed the dark air as the last of the creature's bulbous viscera burst from the statue. The mass of thumping meat lifted into the amorphous shape, further darkening the night sky, vanishing into its throbbing mass. A foul wind formed beneath the abomination, like a storm blowing across a field of open graves. Slowly, gracelessly, the thing climbed into the air, as if it were picking its way upward, an ungainly spider ascending an uncertain web. And then it was gone. Had I witnessed an apotheosis of some kind, or perhaps an illustrated metaphor describing the new condition of the world? As I ran my mind across the events of recent days, I wondered what we would have done had we all been together. <laughs> Wicked would have lost his broken mind over the talking house, and Vive, or whatever had become of Vive, would have walked her way through it all as surely and as curving as the spiral itself. I was still in the process of learning what this new world could throw at me, but by the time I was done, after I'd found them, we would see just what the three of us could throw back. Red Mother is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Stephen Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. 
Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW. Today we'd like to introduce you to a great fantasy audio drama called Circe. The show is similar to Lord of the Rings, except that it focuses on an awesome gay sorceress on the planet of Elbion. Thyra is recording stories of her past to help regain her magical abilities. We learn of her life and how she came to be a member of the Circe. If you're a fan of gay stories and characters, Lord of the Rings and Xena the Warrior Princess, you'll love this show. Check out Circe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.